When it comes to immigration stances, we often think of the striking disparity in opinions between political tribes, most commonly the left versus the right, and to an additional degree, the secular and the religious. But what if there was a common threat, a point of agreement that unified these partisan groups, a shared vision that motivates evangelical churches to partner with synagogues, or leads Presbyterians to join forces with social justice advocates? This collaboration is happening every day in refugee resettlement agencies within the heart of America's Bible Belt and traditionally red states. Author and refugee resettlement coordinator Kate Rice provides her experience on the ground with these groups and reveals the shared commonalities that have brought unity to the most unlikely places. Ami and Gaines, come join us Beyond Borders. How did you begin working with refugees in the first place? Was there any moment or event that triggered this motivation? Yes, actually, it was the fall of 2015. For the previous, I guess, three years, I had been watching the civil war in Syria, and I was really concerned, but I didn't see anything that I could do, so I didn't do anything. And then in 2015 was that wave, huge wave of refugees into Europe. And all of a sudden, I thought, this is something where I can do something because America America takes people who need help or who are seeking refuge. Mm. I mean, my great-great-grandparents came from Ireland and fleeing famine and British persecution. Mm -hmm. So I knew there was this huge American tradition. So I called up my synagogue because I raised my, I married a guy who was a Jew. So we raised our kids as Jews. Mm -hmm. I called up my synagogue in the fall of 2015. And I said, well, what are we doing to help refugees? And they said, well, nothing right now, but give us your number. And like within days, it wasn't even a week. They called me back. A whole bunch of people had called. Mm -hmm. We had a refugee committee going. So that's how mm -hmm. it got started. In your book, you talk about how refugee resettlement happens and the surprising way it unifies the left with the right and the secular with the religious. Could you explain a little bit more about that? Yeah. So um, pretty soon my synagogue, we started working with the Presbyterian Church, which mm -hmm. we'd never worked with before. They got up and running resettling two Syrian refugee families mm. within a year. It was incredible how quickly... They did it. And they were getting a lot of calls from congregations from all over the nation about how they were doing it. Mm -hmm. The reason for the book was I wanted to write a how-to for all these people who were calling for Got help. It. But I thought, hmm, I don't want this just to be a book about two liberal congregations on the Upper West Side doing this because I want something that will resonate with people everywhere. So I mm -hmm. went looking for other congregations and I think that's important to differentiate. So you're uh, currently in Wisconsin, right? Yeah. Uh, what other states were you working with? So I ended up finding intersections of all sorts of people from across people working together from across the political spectrum mm -hmm. in North Carolina, in Arkansas, in Texas, in Idaho, in Utah, mm -hmm. Iowa. Uh, California, where you would expect it. But I found it was so robust in the Bible Belt and red states. Yeah. So one of the questions that comes to my mind is like, why would, why do refugees move to areas like Utah and Idaho, where on the surface, immigration politics doesn't particularly lean too kindly <laughs> in their right. favor? You wouldn't think. Yeah. yeah right. 
Mm-hmm. Refugees don't make any choices. You right. can a ref, where a, ref, a refugee has as much choice about where he or she or their family goes as basically a stick floating down a river. Mm. It's just that you just go where you say because you're vetted by layers of international agencies that de- determine where you go. Um, that's a refugee. It's different from it's different from asylum seekers. So the U.S. State Department works with nine different U.S. State Department sanctioned refugee resettlement agencies, mm-hmm. and which are national, but Lutheran Immigration Refugee Services is in some states. And in other states, it's just wherever Catholic Charities is a little more robust. Um, and so it's the U.S. government that's, that picks where refugees are sent to. Mm-hmm. Well, like, for instance, Utah is a, has a lot of refugee resettlement. They've had like going back into, I think, the 70s, they had a lot of Southeast Asians, and it's just continued that way. And even right. before that. So, and a lot of those resettlement services were driven by the church, correct? Well, it's it actually is both. The government fund gives funding to the different resettlement agencies mm-hmm. to spend on refugees to help them get started in their new land. But it's very limited. And so they have limited resources, both financial and people, faith-based groups work very closely with the resettlement agency. So it's very much a partnership. Mm-hmm. And people like the my synagogue and the, and the church I work with, we, we coordinate really closely with the agencies that we work with. Right. So it's a true partnership. Right. It's pretty cool. That is great. Yeah. Yeah. Because um, you talked about Zion Evangelical Lutheran Church. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure they do good work in this area. Um, oh, they do. I mean, they're in. What I mean is, their enthusiasm is so strong. They do unbelievable things because mm-hmm. they just get an idea and they do everything they can to make it happen. Like working with refugees, you know, in refugee camps in huts with mud floors, helping them become, you know, learn how to get a mortgage and become homeowners. You know? Right. That's and like so, a big jump. Yeah. So that's very interesting to me. On the surface, you think about evangelical churches and it usually leans pretty heavily to the right and conservative, mm-hmm. which typically is not so favorable in terms of immigration policy, right? Right. Um, And uh, an openness to immigration policy. So with this, I'm not sure if you can speak to this specific church, but in other churches that you work with that were evangelicals, what reasons do you think they had for taking this pro-immigration stance? Well, I can think of, well, Zion is one. And Zion, Mm -hmm. although the evangelical Lutheran church Evangelical is in its name, but it's it's a different kind of evangelical than like Southern Baptist evangelical. There's different denominations. But mm. so Zion got into it because they did a search for how they could make a difference in their community. And they decided it would be refugees. And that's how they built a huge program. Then I talked to some groups in Kentucky which I, I just went to the Southern Baptist Convention and I said, who do you have working for refu- with refugees? And they mm-hmm. sent me to Kentucky. And there the motivation was Jesus worked with everyone. Who he helped was not predicated upon belief. If that's good enough for Jesus, that's good enough for me. So wow. they were very motivated by the Bible. But they all had done this sort of internal examination as well about what motivated them. So it was it was just a thoughtfulness. And one thing to remember about um, white evangelicals is 
I mean, if you look back over the past several elections, they always vote for the Republican. Right. And Mm -hmm. so (laughs) it was nothing new for them to vote in that sort of number for Trump. But I just have to say these groups that I found just did this internal self audit of what they believed and how Mm. it measured up to Jesus. And Mm. that's what they based their actions on. Mm. So they stuck to the text. No, I mean, it was it was like a literal interpretation of the Bible. The other thing I want to point out is there's no there's no proselytizing. They're not trying to convert. It's just um, like, you know, Christian duty. Right. That's that's what they feel. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Now, working with those groups, have you seen a more openness in terms of other aspects in their politics? There was actually one woman who was Catholic and super active, just bundle of energy and getting stuff done and helping her Catholic congregation resettle a refugee family. And she said that I think what it does is make people sort of look at everything. Once you start questioning stuff, you keep on asking questions. She was anti-abortion, which she's Catholic. I respect Mm. whatever her personal belief is. But despite that, Mm -hmm. she voted for Hillary Clinton because she said, once you get beyond the womb, she's the pro-life candidate. (laughs) So, and, but other people, guy I talked to voted for Trump and he said, I vote and leave policy decisions to the government. And then I do what I think I should do right here on the ground in my neighborhood. Wow. Several groups that I talked to did, they would have discussions about respecting each other's differences. Like there was a group in Arkansas. Right. um, It wasn't faith-based, but it had a lot of churches working in it. There was a mega church in Texas and then Zion back in in Iowa because they had lots of people from outside of their congregations coming to work with them. They all like talked about how to be respectful of everybody else's Mm -hmm. beliefs. And look, they're talking and working together. So I just think when yeah. people talk to each other. It's possible. Yeah, 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 <laughs> It's exactly. possible, right? Yeah, so it's when you find that commonality, that mm-hmm. common thread between seemingly the these two opposing sides, whether it's political or religious, that common purpose, right? To, yeah. to help yeah. the stranger, to help your fellow man, to help the, the person who's in need. And it seems what, what I'm hearing from you, that sounds like that was the common yeah. thread. Exactly. Between all these groups. I mean, different motivations. Right. Some people it was religious. Some people it was social justice. Some people it was their own history. But whatever the motivation, yeah. the goal is the same. Right, right. And that's that's all you can ask for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Now, the other thing I was thinking about is, was there anything that each of the groups were potentially sacrificing by aligning themselves with these initiatives? And did they get any backlash from their own tribes by working across the aisle? They actually, they did not. There was one Hmm. congregation where a woman said when they first put out the call for donations and people to help because they were going to sponsor a family from Afghanistan, one woman got a call from saying, well, can't we get a Christian family? Hmm. And she said, it's not like you can go online and order a family. Right. <laughs> Most of the time, no. But I do know there was one group in Idaho where like Boise, Idaho, and I think Great Falls have a lot of immigrants, but they were invited 
a few hours north uh, outside of Boise to give a, a presentation about refugee resettlement, there was a, a posse of anti-refugee, uh, an anti-refugee group that descended upon their presentation in the sheriff's department sent deputies to mm-hmm. protect them. So yes, they they definitely were getting some pushback. So, but that was, right. that was the only thing that I found heard of right. among the people that I talked to. Yeah. And could you actually tell us about the conditions of the resettlement agencies? Are they up and running? Do they need resources? Uh, what's the overall status? Okay. Of these they're, they're up and running. There's nine of them. And interestingly, a lot of them are faith-based. One of my favorites, just because it's counterintuitive given today's political p- climate is uh, World Relief, which is mm-hmm. fifth, they're all, I think is fifty or sixty years years old, and it is part of the National Association of Evangelicals, and it's a big mm-hmm. refugee resettlement agency. But there's also Catholic Charities and Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Services, and um, what I don't really go into that much in the book. But what I realize now is a lot of a lot of the congregations have models that anybody can imitate. And the thing is, you can use it if you want to lobby for the rights of a few hundred people from Central Africa who are seeking asylum came mm-hmm. through the southern border last, I think, spring, summer and fall and ended up in Portland, Maine, Canopy, Northwest Arkansas is a refugee resettlement group that organized trips to Washington to lobby their representatives to up the numbers of refugees. They go to their state capital and take refugees who meet with the governor, who is happy to see these refugees who are succeeding on their own. If somebody's interested, how would they get involved with one of these groups? Do they just contact directly or? The federal money that does get fund, that does fund refugees it's federal money, but it gets distributed by a state refugee office. So you can just Google refugee services in your state. Just put in your state name. You can go to any one of these refugee resettlement agencies. And I and as I said, they just, for whatever reason, they're stronger in different regions. Google refugee right. resettlement, faith-based refugee resettlement, and you're, and you're going to find yeah. a group that you can work with. Yeah, any way that we can help and, and get involved. And I, and I think this is just... A very interesting topic shows a commonality between groups who you wouldn't think would exist. I wonder, you know, the next steps. Maybe immigration might be that wedge that that breaks it open, you know, to further discussions. Exactly. (laughs) Exactly. Because this is a place where like churches and business agree, Um, Hmm. you know, because there's a lot of business immigrant coalitions standing up and saying, hey, we mm-hmm. need to fix this immigration system because we need people here. But you're right. People here see just the the heart-wrenching images and stories of what's going on at our borders and want to help. And the, the thing is, there are ways you can, even if you're far from the border, there's ways you can mobilize to contribute and help to agencies that are actually on mm-hmm. the border giving help. There was an interesting moment in the past year when asylum-seeking migrants were bused to Denver and to Dallas. I think mm-hmm. actually the state of New Mexico helped buy the tickets and church, mm-hmm. the churches that were working with those migrants in Denver and Dallas had to turn away volunteers. There's so much wow. goodwill out there. We just need there to is. harness, you know, to make change. Yeah, good change. Absolutely. Positive change. And then the community itself, 
you you get a change of heart of maybe what you thought previously because you're now meeting these people face to face. It's very transformative. Um, right. I talked to someone who works a lot with refugees, and she's also an an Islamic studies expert and mm-hmm. consultant for the Department of Defense and that kind of thing, where she right, ended right. up working with evangelical groups that wanted to find out more in a positive way about Islam and Muslims. And she met a lot of evangelical college kids who had grown up in congregations that were at the very least suspicious of Islam and mm. Muslims or downright hostile. And once they actually meet people who are Muslim, yeah. completely changes their outlook. Of course. Because you, you're meeting another human yes. being. You're meeting mm-hmm. another mm-hmm. person yeah. who has the same desires, the same wants. They they want to take care of their family. Yes. They, they want to do well. They want to be protected. They want to be safe, just like anybody else. When you, you have the fear of the unknown, thinking about the worst case scenario, what's the worst possible mm-hmm. version of this person? But... When you go and actually meet them, you're like, oh, wow, there's, they're as complex, as varied as anybody else. And that's what it comes down to is meeting people, is engaging with people on the other side of, of the aisle, on the other side of what you think you know you are. And then you'll find more commonalities than what you would have thought before. So this is all a part there's, of it. <laughs> there's nothing like sharing laughter with people. To like really, I found that. Yeah, right. Yeah, everybody laughs. If you can share a laugh with a person, then you're on your way. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. Well, Kate, this is is beautiful. uh, Definitely, I recommend people to go check out your book, How the Refugee Crisis Unites Americans, the untold story of the grassroots movement shattering our red and blue silos. That, that says it right there. And, and maybe this might be with your experience working in particularly red states and how the communities in there sort of in, engage and embrace the refugees that, that might change or color the discourse a little bit differently coming up. You know, this is not a topic that's really talked about when it comes to immigration policy and, and just the political landscape, I would like to hear more stories like this. I, yeah. Right? As you said, you know, immigration is much more unifying than, than so many of us realize. Yes, absolutely. Everybody I talked to talked about getting out of their comfort zone and, and right. which is a hard thing to do, but a good exercise for all of us. Yes. And also exercising is a great exercise too. So hey, get out I'm into and vote that too. and exercise. Yeah, walk this, go knock on doors and count your steps on your pedometer. Yeah, the two, yeah exactly. Two, two for one deal. Yeah. All right. Well, Kay, it's been an absolute pleasure. I thank you so much for coming on. Oh, Ian, thank you so much. Oh, and the other thing to do is keep listening to your podcast as well because it's super heartening. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. Thank you to assistant producers Luke Bianco and David White and music by Brandon Williams. Follow Immigration Nerds on Twitter and Erickson Immigration Group on LinkedIn to join in the conversation. I'm Ian Gaines. See you next week.